0: Welcome back to the TCS Podcast. I am joined today by my friend and co-host, Mike Lombard. How are you, man? How's it going?
1: Good, man. Good to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, can't complain, man. How you doing?
0: I'm great. I love you. Hey, likewise, dude. Where, you, where'd you get that? <laughs> Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. It's awesome to see all the different variations of them. Like Every time I see one, I'm like, oh, like his is red, mine's green. I didn't know they made it in that color. Um, the guys over there, please advise, do a great job at keeping there to be a ton of variety.
1: Yeah, I I thought about wearing the OG blue because that was the first gen, and I was told by the please the founder of Please Advise that the the blue won't be making a, a return. It's like a a lighter blue, and I guess it's not gonna make making a comeback. So that's the founder's hat. I thought about wearing it, but you know, I'm all about safety first.
0: So I was like, I should go with the safety hat. Yeah. You're going to have to save that hat so it doesn't get too worn out because it's a relic.
1: Exactly. When we're going to, you know, the Mid-America Trucking Show 10 years from now, uh, when it becomes the next Coachella, people are going to be trying to rip that thing off my head. (laughs) So
0: let's get into it, man. I have a couple of housekeeping items I want to get through. Um, We're super excited to announce that TCS will be at the Ethereum Chicago event in Chicago on the 15th to the 17th of September. And more specifically, TCS will have a keynote talk at 1020 Central Time, Sunday the 17th. And if you are a truck driver and you're looking to come through, you will see himself truly Mike Lombard and super trucker Justin Martin who will be on stage that day. You will also see our founder, Todd Ziegler, who will be on stage talking about swap and about freight settlement. That is at 10.20 Central Time, Sunday the 17th. If you're coming into town and you're looking for truck parking, you can go to Truck Parking Club. They do have some truck parking available, although it's about 45 minutes away via Uber. So um, if that works out for you, that's great. If not, there are a handful of local truck stops who would be able to most likely fit you make sure you call ahead but uh, we look forward to seeing some truck drivers at the East chicago event uh, it's in got an interesting group of panelists you will learn a whole lot not only about digital assets but you'll learn about the application of transportation and blockchain at the basically merger of the supply chain to blockchain keynote talk at that time ten twenty central um on sunday and you will see Mike Lombard up there, and Mike will be getting into all types of interesting topics, talking about not only his experience, but other ways that TCS as a product can benefit the truck driver in a time where it seems like it is more needed than ever.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more on that when it comes to how effective TCS would be for small carriers now, uh, as 2023 has been somewhat of a trucking bloodbath. I'm really looking forward to this event. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, number one, love the city of Chicago. Uh, Chicago in the summertime. For anybody who doesn't know, Chicago in the summertime rivals probably being the best city in America. So I'm excited to be going back. It's it's a it's a massive freight hub as it is. It is you know it's the center of the country. But when it comes to freight, I mean there are a lot of carriers that operate out of Chicago. There are a lot of brokerages, large brokerages that operate out of Chicago. So it's it's a freight hub. It's a good place for people to come meet. I'm really excited because since coming on board with TCS, and I remember being in that Zoom meeting that uh, Jimmy was in over at uh, Duke University, talking to the grad students over there and telling and like talking to them about just the trucking industry as a whole and what it's like to be an owner operator, what it's like to just be a company driver, just giving, just sharing that knowledge of the on the ground uh, employees in the trucking industry. You could tell that. I'll, there's this this isn't like widely known information a lot of people look at truck drivers they go on tiktok they go on instagram they you know they think you know they see that they're at truck stops or over the road but they don't the, the nuts and bolts of what goes into running a motor carrier and when i went down those bullet lists to a lot of those people and really just so much just that one link in the chain being the motor carrier and the complexities in in that one link of just being one motor carrier, because the thing is, motor carriers could be one truck, they could be five, they could be a hundred, they could be five thousand, and a lot of people don't know about it. And it, especially in the blockchain world, which is another you know complex and diverse global you know you know market, and obviously the supply chain is global when we talk about ships and 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 freight trains and stuff. But the the blockchain being global as it is now being able to link in be another link in that supply chain to help and I think that there's going to be a lot of people in Chicago who are going to benefit from what Justin Martin and I have to have to offer. I think that they're going to be very uh, eager to to realize what you know something like TCS has to offer the true utility of the token and how it could be such an impact to really, as Todd you know has said before, bringing you know blockchain, and something like Truck Corn Swap as a Main Street purpose. And I really think it's going to open up a lot of eyes. People are going to learn a lot from you know, all the things we're going to be discussing when it comes to you know, how the freight moves throughout the U.S., and especially from the financial aspect. But I'm, I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you guys are going to have an awesome time. Chicago is a really cool place to do it. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's, it's a huge freight hub. It has all types of train transport that goes through it, which I believe is why it's so big. Is that right?
1: Trains. It's on one of the Great Lakes, which I mean, the Great Lakes itself is a, a major, you know, that's like an entire aorta of the American economy right there. If the Great Lakes shut down tomorrow completely, uh, the the entire United States, you, you wouldn't right? be you, if the Great Lakes completely just shut down tomorrow, you wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't be able to get to your nearest freaking grocery store before the water be gone. <laughs> it would cause that much panic. There's so wow. much. Yeah, when it comes to precious metals and things that operate within the Great Lakes, it's it's absolutely nuts. I learned that when I went up to Thunder Bay when I was delivering a load myself and talking with other friends of ours on Twitter, like Rust Belt Kid, who's a Twitter gentleman He lives up in the Upper Peninsula. You know, these when once you learn, I mean, just the Great Lakes alone and supply chain will get you. Like you can you could study that, you know, your entire life and you still probably
0: wouldn't learn enough. It's wild. That's the thing. There's such an iron curtain in front of transportation. And I like what you were saying before. It's super analogous as well to the iron curtain in front of digital assets. I mean, it's 2023. We're constantly seeing all types of regulatory information coming out around cryptocurrency. There's so much confusion, general confusion around it today, which is actually, um, we'll probably look back at today as being one of the most pivotal events um, of, of 2023, if not of the last few years in digital assets, Mike. And that's because Grayscale effectively won a lawsuit against the SEC in regards to not being allowed to have a spot ETF. And I want to talk about that briefly because I think it's something a lot of people don't understand. And, and I, I may slightly botch this, but from a high-level understanding, Grayscale is effectively a trust. So if you're an institution and you wanted to buy or allocate money towards Bitcoin, one of the best ways to do it back in 2021 was to buy through Grayscale. And when you buy through Grayscale, they don't necessarily go ahead and back the Bitcoin one-to-one with the dollars that you are investing into their trust. Instead, They just sort of bank the money and then they tell you that there will be a certain date in the future. I believe it's once every six months or once a year where that Bitcoin can effectively be collected. So what ends up happening is there's a huge discount to NAV, it's called. There's a huge discount in the price of the grayscale Bitcoin trust versus the actual spot price of Bitcoin today. And the further away you are, the larger discount it trades at because you can't take that money out right now. And Grayscale had this issue, and these are guidelines put into place so the common investor doesn't get screwed over. However, on the contrary, the way that the system is built, that it's not a spot one-to-one ETF, is actually harming the investor more than if it were a one-to-one spot Bitcoin ETF. And today, Grayscale won that lawsuit. They sued the SEC. In order to basically say, no, we need a spot ETF because it is better for the investment consumer or the retail investor or the institution. So today actually is a massive day in crypto history and there's so much going on behind the scenes. And it's very analogous to transportation as well, because there's so much going on. It's so large. There's so many moving parts. There's people calling for regulation and we're constantly seeing people calling for more regulation. In transportation as well. And to me, as sort of someone who uh, has just recently gotten into crypto Twitter and and meeting more people online who are real thought leaders, Mike, yourself being one of them, there is a decent cohort of people calling for more regulation freight as well, which seems almost counterintuitive. Um, But we're seeing more and more of it. And I know you were reading an article today from Rachel Premack on freight waves in regards to some stuff in regulation and unionization.
1: Yeah, Rachel Premack came out with an article today. i had been talking with Rachel because over the course of the summer, uh, Yellow Freight, which is a 99-year-old trucking company, uh, emerged as being on the verge of bankruptcy. And that's that's what started raising the red flags. And then during that entire de- dilemma of them saying you know yellow basically was saying we're running out of money and at that point just some time had passed there was a couple to- you know here and there talks going on and then all of a sudden one random week yellow decided to not make a payment into their pension fund and so that that violates their con- their collective bargaining agreement so yellow threatened and authorized a strike and to kind of synopsize it and to you know make a really long story short, when Yellow authorized the strike, that was kind of the final okay, yeah, Yellow's definitely go- going down. It's done. It's kind and of then, a
0: canary in the coal mine, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, pe- people will say you know it wasn't the strike that caused the bankruptcy. <laughs> there was a lot that led up to that, and we'll, and we'll get into that in, in a minute because eventually Yellow did obviously file for bankruptcy. Their assets are being up for bid. But over the last month, essentially, has been a, an entire a blame game where essentially Yellow management blamed the Teamsters for not coming to the table to negotiate. Because what Yellow had been trying to do is they tried to... They, they've they been a zombie company for the better part of a decade, the past 10, 15 years. They tried to save themselves by acquiring these other smaller regional unionized carriers and implement this one Yellow initiative. Uh, unfortunately, Yellow didn't really do anything to kind of uh, incorporate these companies into the yellow brand. And what, where the dilemma was is when Yellow tried to initiate the One Yellow Initiative, it would have caused them to reopen the collective bargaining agreement because it was going to change the job descriptions of drivers at these different companies, which means the pay would have had to have been adjusted and the Teamsters, which is the, you know, the largest trucking union that's around the International Brotherhood of the Teamsters, they had already made wage concessions to the, team, to the Teamsters, or the Teamsters already made wage concessions to Yellow, you know, years ago. They've bailed them out in the past. So Yellow management's been blaming the union. The union has been fully blaming uh, management. And there's a really good quote here uh, from, from Rachel's article that makes complete, uh, complete sense about this. Uh, that has to do with, uh, you know, the exchanging of of money, and forgive me for for scrolling down here. Yeah, but that's it's, okay. It, Please yeah, find it. It, it. Essentially, it had to do with the. But the reason why I went on to talk about this because this has to do with the future of labor in the trucking industry. Because I'm I am involved in so many levels of of driver. You know, I'm involved in a lot of driver advocacy with what's going on in the industry. But let's see.
0: Yeah. Please find it. We're, we're interested to hear about it. Uh, Yeah. So it's a lengthy article. She put a lot of work into it.
1: Yeah. Very well-written article. And it's, you know, it said she writes here, if Teamsters viewed yellow management, as consistently shoddy, that that would be one reason why the union may have been okay with letting the company shutter. Because really, the 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 argument here is, if the the, the Teamsters had just recently had a very successful union contract negotiation with UPS, you know, with uh, large pay raises, it's one of the best. UPS is stronger than ever. Um, you know, unions have unions now today are at their most popular public point of view since 1965. Uh, we're seeing a lot of union efforts in places like Amazon, Starbucks. You're seeing it grow in popularity, and it's growing in popularity amongst people from both sides of the aisle. So, in pe- But people are wondering, okay, why are the Teamsters looking so strong with UPS but weak on the other end with yellow? Why did they just give up 22,000 members? And it really had to do with not trusting management. And the article reads, if Teamsters viewed yellow management as consistently shoddy, that would be one reason why the union may have been okay with letting the company shutter. And uh, this person says, they quote, they lost confidence in the management. I would rather take a chance with other companies where I have some trust in what they're doing. If I'm in a car and I'm with you and you're driving that car off the cliff, it doesn't matter how much money you give me, give me to ride in the car, I'm going to eventually get out of the car.
0: Mike, where are those 22,000 employees going to go?
1: So and what's crazy is that's the thing. Those 22,000 employees, many are going to leave the industry uh, completely. Okay. Uh, because a lot, like, but, but I followed uh, one, one woman on TikTok. I've tried to get her to come on, on my show. She's, she's really busy. She's got a family. But she you know, was very standing much union strong. She, as a Yellow employee, was siding with the Teamsters on this. She thought Yellow's management was bad. And now she's, I believe, she's hauling tanker now. I'm not sure for which okay. company but she's definitely has a non a non union job uh over the road hauling tanker. A lot a lot of these guys I, I suspect they will probably leave driving altogether because there's not a lot of places for them to go. You have T Force and ABF, but do they have enough positions uh to to be filled depending on where they're located? Probably not. And that's that's probably one not thing. Probably is right. It and that's the thing when it comes to regional and unionized carriers is you know, they can't be as fluid as larger over the road companies where your hiring pool stretches out and you can be more fluid with where these employees can go. I mean, me, and this is me speaking from a personal standpoint. I, if I'm, you know, you know Mr. O'Brien, the president of Teamsters, and if I, because you want those members back, no matter what, those are dues paying members. That's sure. money that's going to be gone. If I'm them, I'm, I'm, I'm riding. I'm riding this steam. I'm riding this high. I'm I'm gonna be rallying. And I, I would be doing what I can to get these drivers, they need to move on to the mega carriers, personally. I think that these drivers need to move in to um part you know, members of, of the ATA, affiliate carriers of the ATA, the large companies like Werner, Schneider, Pam Transport, all these companies. Are those union
0: are those union uh, operations like a Schneider union company? No, no, no yeah, not at all. Not, so does the union have any obligation to replace these drivers as they're paying due paying members or no, not really?
1: They don't have an obligation to, no. I mean, but they would probably feel obligated because it's a huge loss of you know money money coming in to to, to support the union.
0: Yeah, no, it's an interesting time like for the union to be such a heavy topic in transportation for the first time you said since nineteen sixty nine?
1: Well, the, the, not in so much in transportation. This is just unions overall being viewed as their their positive outlook and their positive view from the public is that it's most popular since 1965. So interesting. And, and what's we're we're seeing it in a lot of different parts of the industries. But how is it going to look for trucking moving forward? Because, like you said, there's a lot of people that we engage with on Twitter. A lot of people have been talking about they've been they've been clamoring for regulation. Because what's crazy is since since deregulation in 1980 the motor carrier act of 1980 unions have become less and less popular because of the money spent to crush unions into and, and to try to remove them from transportation altogether these it's these people we engage with on twitter who are upset at the current economy keep clamoring for more regulation i feel as though because they are scared to admit that they that they do need slash want some form of a union. This is just me speaking candidly and honestly because they're what they're calling for. They keep they're they're clamoring for broker transparency. They're clamoring for them to enforce current FMCSA regulations, which I agree are going uh, are going un you know they're they're going unenforced by the FMCSA. There's a lot going unenforced by the FMCSA, but they're clamoring for certain regulations and what those regulations were was what the motor carrier Act of 1980 eliminated, which you know which because whether you like whether it's union or not but uh, pre-1980 the union, which in a sense is the labor controlled the the freight rate you know the freight rates of the market and thus okay. even independents like because the only the only people who were exempt from the motor carrier Act of 1935, was people in agriculture and, and produce so that's those are who you're okay. primarily over the road guys were so produce guys your, and then your cattle haulers anybody hauling livestock those were primarily your OTR guys those were all exempt but pre-1980 those rates were still higher and independent still got a better payday because the market rate was set by the unions and if you just translated that today these owner operators are small motor carriers—they're clamoring for the same regulations, but what they really want, without saying it, is they
0: do want the strength of what a union had, back of then. what However, a
1: union offers. Yeah, they, right? They want the they same don't want strength.
0: Necessarily, they want the good, but they don't want the bad.
1: Yeah, they—they they still have a negative outlook where they believe that you're just paying for somebody else to do, you know, to do. You're, you know, you're giving your money away because unions have this negative outlook of being a political slush funds. And they're no, right. not always advocating on the best interests, or that you know. And then, but then, I, I what I say to people who who are non union like that is like, have you heard of your tax dollars? Do you see where your tax dollars go and what you're getting in return? And and the reason I'm more sympathetic to unions is because of my family's history, the original Lombard, which was a motor carrier from 1923 to 1984. Right. They were a union carrier. They had drivers who spent their entire careers there, had full benefits, pensions. These were people who in the 70s, 60s, and 70s were making the equivalent of six figures today, and they were home every right. night. Now we're having drivers who are spending, you know, they maybe get to spend 50 days at home, and they're making ha- half as much. And granted, yes, they have the freedom to operate and possibly in, in, in to operate a business, but would you necessarily need to want to operate a business if you are making a good salary that you can invest that money in and you can do x y z that's that's the the trade off is people always say, well because of deregulation we're able to st-, you know more small businesses were able to start and there was more competition right and i and I understand and that Craig Fuller tweeted about this the other day about how it allowed trucking companies to differentiate by going over the road more to service customers better, but the the cost of that is the race to the bottom in the labor market that we've been seeing in the trucking industry. And it's just, you know, it's it, eventually on a long enough timeline, it will become unsustainable. We've been talking about recently, I, I'm getting sponsored ads where we have recruiting firms that will hire vetted truck drivers from Mexico. So that way you don't have to worry about your turnover. So, I mean, it just, it, just from the labor market perspective, it hasn't turned out well. And clearly it, some of these issues are coming to roost for some of these small motor carriers who are now. Whose, whose, you know, expenses are, you know, and overhead continues to rise while their you know, these volatile market rates put them out. And it's, you know, and there's much of it that's out of their control. Like even going back to the root of this podcast, one thing that they can't get rid of a lot of times is the factoring costs. That's cutting right into possibly what they could be paying a driver, what they can get in PTO.
0: Sure. Absolutely. And it comes right off the top line, obviously. The one thing I want to ask you, and maybe you have the answer, maybe you don't, but how did the government used to fix the rates? How did they guarantee that a trucking company would be, or an owner operator would get a certain rate? How was that enforced? Well, How how are the rates set? Yeah. So
1: basically the lanes were kind of owned. So for example, pre-1980, say me, I wanted to I wanted to haul toilet paper from, you know, Joe's, Joe's toilet paper store to Joe's plumbing store from Dallas to Houston. I would then have to go to the, you know, department of transportation and say, Hey, I want to start this trucking company. And then you have to, you have to bid on it. But what eventually the thing is, if you wanted to do that as just a guy with one truck, because essentially in that position, you could kind of undercut your, your competition. The other you know you have to basically prove that there's a need for you to be hauling that toilet paper between houston and dallas so to speak and if there was and if you can prove that there's a need another trucking company that already exists somebody who's been around will kind of gatekeep and be like oh there's a demand for this toilet paper lane well we'll just add more trucks right now and, w- and we'll do it because they they'll right. have the they'll they've had the ownership of that lane And that's kind of how it worked and whoever owned that lane basically set the rate of what it what it was paid at and the way authorities worked was a little bit different like because you know now like you you operate fuel fuel trucks that have usdot numbers on them so before that you had these icc numbers where essentially you know they had these bingo cards and on your bingo card is where you had authority to be able to haul freight so a lot of stuff you know you had these where that can tell you where to go so it was adjusted like that but you know, you still had small businesses pre-deregulation. That's what people forget is like companies like my family's Lombard was a small business. And it was, you know, granted, it was one of the largest in the Northeast, but it was small. And there was a lot of smaller businesses. And if you look in the 90s of all the union carriers that eventually went out of business from the ramifications, of deregulations, they were small business. But the labor was just union labor. That's all, because you know, sometimes people think that a company's a union. A company's not a union. A company is a company, but their workers. a right. the company has yeah.
0: union employees. What year was this, Mike, when the unions basically got deregulated?
1: Not 1980. It was the Jimmy Carter's okay. Motor Carrier Act of 1980. Yes, yeah, so,
0: I mean, my family was operating before that, um, and we never operated as a union outfit. Um, always kind of were able to avoid it for better or worse. And it's funny, and, and you and I have spoken about this, because um, your family had what seems to be a good experience being a, a union operation, whereas uh, my family always attempted to avoid uh, becoming a union operation for better or worse, whether it's ethical or not ethical, I really couldn't tell you, people feel differently about that. Um, but, you know, kind of that aside, I, I spent time in the weeds listening to um i guess x formerly known as twitter spaces and i i even today i'm just listening to um older old timers kind of who are still in freight and sorry if you're listening to this to call you old um but you're older than we are and old timers kind of talking about freight and talking about rates and talking about broker transparency and it's guys that you generally wouldn't expect to be asking for more regulation. Um, and, and we're going to avoid politics on this platform. But you know, literally in the spaces, it says mega commission. It's folks who you would expect to not want regulation. And they're effectively calling for regulation of brokers because the rates aren't right. And the broker needs to make less money. So the freight hauler can make less money. And these are all things that at, um, at a high level, are easily agreeable. Obviously, the person hauling the freight and and doing the work um, should be making more money than you know than basically the broker. Um, now, you could argue brokers are injecting liquidity into the market. They're facilitating all of these difficult relationships, which, frankly, I wouldn't want to do. I mean, br- being a broker is not so easy. If being a broker were so easy, then everybody would do it and everybody would make tons of money. But you know, laws of supply and demand state that if brokers are making a lot of money, then more brokers will basically enter the market and then those rates and margins will come down. So that's kind of how I feel about the broker-carrier relationship. Although, admittedly, I don't have to deal with brokers, thank God. I, I do all all direct freight. Um But, you know, could you shed some light on on what we've been seeing in these spaces where these gentlemen and ladies are are, all have very valid points, um, but it's people you wouldn't normally expect looking for regulation who are effectively calling for regulation.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of it's hard to put into words because they're it's a it's a knee jerk reaction and it's and it's the it's a it's the it's like a binary response almost that they're giving is where, because obviously the clamoring for regulations didn't happen during the unprecedented, you know, high rates that we saw, you know, during COVID, you know, they weren't saying, Hey, I want transparency because things were riding good. Now we're seeing it at the worst. Sometimes it's ever been for some people, a lot of, I've talked to a lot of fleet owners, people who said it's worse, you know, it feels worse to them than 2009. And these people, they're, I think there's it's just because it's what they know and what they're dealing with on the broker side of things. And many of them have relationships with brokers. They say they're good, but I think they're just that it's it's hard to explain. I just I empathize with them because I know I've dealt with double brokered loads. I've dealt with bad brokers. Uh, and I'll say one specifically, NTG. I had a bad experience with a broker there, and you know the, the kid. You know, I think I quote tweeted something about him yesterday, and it had to do with detention pay. Um, I, I think a lot of the issues we're seeing with brokers is almost the same as we're seeing on the side of large trucking fleets. Brokers,
0: brokers. Hold on. And broker- Hold on. Yeah. You quote tweeted. You quote tweeted somebody who double brokered a load to you.
1: No, no, no. I quote tweeted, uh, fr- our friend freight bandit, uh, which Got was it. a video. It was a video of Johnny Manziel holding cash and the, the, underneath it said, this is, this is a broker. This was my broker when I asked for detention. And I said, and I quote, tweeted Oh saying,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, said, holding this the is cash I, I can't hear you. <laughs> the money's too loud. Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah
1: th- I, this is a guy dealt with that NTG. So the, um, <laughs> man, now, now I lost my, uh, Sorry, to throw if up
0: you it. had, if you had quote tweeted someone who previously double brokered to you, that would be unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Oh, no. No, I would never do that. And I would have to find them <laughs> because that person is probably in Armenia somewhere. But um, uh, essentially, well, the, on the brokerage side of things, especially when we're dealing with the TQLs, the CH Robinsons, the people who work there. Their turnover is just as high as in the trucking industry. So it's not binary where broker, there's, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who think brokers are soulless, like some certain car, like the shady used car salesman. But when you, you know, we talk about this a lot, when you establish relationships, I had a carrier rep at C.H. Robinson who is well-respected when it comes to, when if we're talking transparency, this guy, when I would ask him on loads, he would send me the screenshot on his desktop of what the load paid. He that so if we're talking broker transparency, he was fully one hundred percent transparent. And when he couldn't give me something, what I said, or we couldn't negotiate, he'd be like, "Look, he'd show me the screenshot. This is exactly what the load's paying. They're like full transparency." And then he would go a step further. He said, "I don't have this, but if you're willing to deadhead x amount of miles for this, and then we which can space, do
0: right. Then then so we you can two are this. basically." What you're describing, Mike, is a relationship between two mature adults who are saying, look, I can't do that right now. I don't have it. But you trust me and you know that I'm not lying to you. But you know, if we do this and this and that, then we can basically we can work together. And, and in the meantime, we're both going to make less money um, because we both need to make less money. And, and, and we can get by with it. Um, what you're describing is basically just a good relationship, man.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what's needed in the trucking industry. Uh, I Look, I know that I never operated as a motor carrier. I worked as a contractor. However, as a contractor with Warren Transport, I facilitated a relationship for my carrier to acquire a new customer. I gave them two new brokerages to work with for loads. So I still facilitated relationships for the carrier I contracted for to grow. So I'm not too unfamiliar with it, but trucking is like no other business where you do have to build those relationships, and you're gonna similar to cold calling. You know, you're not going to cold call everyone. a hundred of those cold calls are going to be absolutely horrible. You're gonna get told, sure. "Buzz off, you're you you suck, I don't need you." Brokers are gonna be the same way in a lot of aspects. They're gonna try to cheat you. They're gonna try to do this, and and I get it. But the answer can't be, you know, we need this full full transparency. Eventually, if we're gonna operate as is. Then we, we need to function by just building on good relationships, networking with what we have. And the, the true issue is the people we've been talking to in these Twitter spaces, you know, where they keep viewing the, the all-out enemy as, as the brokers. And to think of it as a zero-sum game against brokers, it's just you have to see what's winnable because the real enemy in all of this is exactly what we're doing at TCS. The, is, and this has to do with the real fraud. And the real scams that are out there, because if the if we start doing things like tackling the fraud in this industry when it comes to double brokering and when it comes to tackling issues with the CDL milling industrial complex with the churn and burn systems we have, because that's the thing. This industry in general is churning out bad players in this industry. And when there's a trickle down effect, because the thing is, rates are going to be kept low. And, they, and whether they're kept low on purpose by brokers or not, these brokers are going to have the opportunity to keep rates low as long as that barrier to entry continues to remain at rock bottom. Hey, Mike, where you,
0: um, this, this may be a stupid question, but I actually don't know the answer. And, I, and I'm not asking it facetiously. What incentive does a broker have to keep the price low?
1: The incentive the broker has to keep the price low is so they can... You know, make the most money uh, on the load. A cent, in, in a sense, so if the load pays, if a you know, if a, if oh, so a, if you're it, saying
0: they're not okay. So you're saying the broker is getting a high rate, and then they're just showing a low rate to the carrier. It's not that yeah. the brokers are also trying to make less money.
1: No, the brokers aren't trying to make less money. They're going to, you know, for like if a, if a shipper is going to pay the broker three thousand dollars. You know, the, the broker's gonna put it out there, he's gonna put it out there for a certain price. He could put it out there for two thousand and uh, you know, depending on what it is. And he can you can make XY XYZ on that. The the issue is is there it like people need to look at the economy in general. And I understand in these spaces that there's a lot of negativity towards sonar and freight waves who, you know, after building a relationship with the people who work at freight waves, I don't see them having anything to gain by having a lack of integrity on, on this stuff but there truly is. And I've worked with, as a contractor with Warren transport, we had weekly phone calls with the vice president of the specialized division. And he told us, you know, about, and we didn't deal with brokers at Warren either. Very, very seldom. We did we deal with brokers because they have a lot of customers. So, sure. so there, there were tractors and there were John Deere pieces of farm equipment that I was hauling back in March and on the same lanes were paying, half as much, you know, half as much this summer in July. So they were paying so much less greatly reduced. So that's between the customer and, you know, carrier, no broker in there, and they were still even cutting rates. And so for any sort of, I mean, like I said, to say that there's no brokers out there not purposely lowering rates or being shady. Obviously, that's
0: just untrue. Sure. There's always some fringe cases of people who are just generally bad actors. You have that in every industry. There's really no way to stop it. Um, I will say that and there is no one-size-fits-all fix for double brokering. Um, But one thing that will be quite interesting when TCS is at scale is the ability to basically see that You have a wallet looking to operate that's never done any type of transaction volume. And maybe their IP address is from a country that has a reputation of double brokering. And we will not block that individual from transacting. But there may just be some sort of transparency factor that says, hey, just so you know, this is a new wallet and this is the country they're located in. Do with this information as you will. because, you know, digital assets intends to basically democratize business and democratize sovereignty and make self-sovereign individuals, which personally is um, why I'm so interested in it. But that's sort of a, a shameless plug for TCS as a use case in regards to double brokering. It's not going to stop people from basically driving prices down, but it can alleviate some double brokering when at scale. Um, and then additionally, another shameless Shill, a friend of the pod, um, Reed from Lost Freight is building a, basically a relationship management tool so folks who are carriers um, can continue to work with the, same, uh, with, with the same brokers and with the same shippers. It's effectively a tool belt to do so. And these are just two examples of people that we're very close with, obviously. Um, but there's many other examples of basically technology that intends to solve real problems, make it easier for trucking companies and owner operators to do their jobs and I'm so excited to just kind of see you know where we are in a few years once these products get sort of more scale and more users. Um, but building products with the frame of mind of that frame of mind to make things easier for folks is just really cool um, and like I said, that's only two examples. There's definitely many more and, and we'll have to uncover more and interview more, uh, product hosts, uh, product creators on this podcast, but that's something that is definitely generally super exciting
1: no i I couldn't agree more with you kind of but before I touch on that to kind of backtrack when I, we were talking about relationship building this is important this actually has to do with kind of how we see the ram- this is another ramification of that deregulation when we nationalize the supply chain more outside of these carriers more primarily operating as l t l or and where they were home every night is you see how hard it is to build a rela- build remote relationships like that. Because carriers carriers will never meet brokers. Carriers sometimes may you know you may never meet a a, a cu- your customers face to face. Like that's the thing. You you as a carrier you you may never meet you know the actual customer who did who said yes you can haul my freight. You're not going to meet those people, and we're seeing that that there's a strain there, and the strain is spread spread so thin it's so easy for bad players to get involved in that and kind of ruin things. But like you said with these products. And this is where technology can be a good thing. You know, when it comes to TCS, there's there's two ways to eliminate fraud in the industry right now. One of which would be to require all brokers to have a TWIC card. And this this is this besides raising the barrier to entry for carriers, but require all uh, brokers to have a TWIC card. And a TWIC card is something you get. It's similar to getting a TCA, TSA pre check. You know, you go get your fingerprints.
0: This is what I use. I to think get that's to- a brilliant yeah. idea, man. I actually really applaud Justin Martin for coming up with that concept. I think that would just solve so much headache. It's basically just a KYC, know your customer, as it's called in the crypto and, and financial side. Um, it's basically just KYC for like doing business within freight. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, a Twic card is primarily used for like getting into the ports. Um, loading like hazardous materials, Mike, what other applications do people need Twit cards for that? That's my experience. Yeah. And to get,
1: yeah. Ports in the, in the railroad is, is, is the biggest thing. Got if, it. You, if, if you don't have it, you, yeah, you get the, you get an escort in and the, I, I mm-hmm. smile because the escorts are always like these old retired dudes and, and, and Monte Carlos and stuff that, <laughs> that are wearing safety vests. But yeah. Know, the Twic card would be the the one punch to eliminate fraud, and then TCS is the is the knockout because the use of TCS a, as a token when it comes to uh, paying your, your carriers and you know those transactions it doesn't it doesn't allow for these bad players to happen. And I think when that happens, then you eliminate. That's the thing when you eliminate the fraud. We have to understand how much fraud actually exists. By June of this year, there was a billion dollars worth of fraud in the transportation industry. If you don't think that that has a ripple effect on people's rates, the supply and demand in the country, you know who's inflation, what insurance rates, it it, it hurts everything. It's it's hurt it's hurting it's it's hurting everything along with it. And if you can eliminate, imagine if you can eliminate a billion dollars worth of fraud, what that opens up, you're gonna you're gonna see a rot. You're gonna see an increase in your in your freight rates. But I mean, just just to circle it all up, there truly is a lack of demand in this country because what. Like you said, with the people we engage with on Twitter Spaces, and I like—I have a lot of respect for a lot of the, the, those people on Twitter. I really do. So do I. I, I appreciate so much of what they have to offer. They—they are good businessmen. They're great. They're great truckers. They have a wealth of knowledge. I do love listening to them. But they, in one breath, you can't be criticizing the current administration and talking about how bad the economy is, and then also say i think that there's you know coercion mass coercion going on with with freight rates because it's just like look the the, it, it, the truth is the truth the current administration maybe isn't the best that we can be having right now and the economy, and we all know the economy is good. People are hurting. Look at what's happening in the tech industry. I just met somebody today; they were an Uber layoff. I mean, Facebook. Facebook has seven floors of an unbuilt high rise in downtown Austin right now that they're not even going to occupy. They're going to have to sub-lease right. that out. This is fa- Facebook or Meta. So, I mean, we've seen that you know the tech industry has been. Uh, churning and burning out people. Like every single sector is going down. I just tweeted about it today. We have a furniture company in North Carolina abruptly close its doors. So if a furniture company just closed its doors, where do you think all the freight that came out of there once went? It doesn't exist anymore. Right. I mean, and, that, and that's. Yeah, just I mean, the, it'll get,
0: you know, it's only going to get worse, Mike, when we see um, student debt start to be paid back in October. Um, wallets are going to get even tighter. People's you know, discretionary spending is is certainly going to get tighter with that so it'd be interesting to see where we had with the greater economy but um, look it's also just important to understand like as far as tcs goes data is not the enemy and data can actually help us eliminate a lot of this double brokering and just giving people better transparency as far as what brokers that they're or what brokers that they're working with so it's just important for people to understand that there are good shepherds of data and that data can be very advantageous for a carrier in helping them understand who the counterparty is. And if you have more information about your counterparty that's verified, then it's easier to not necessarily worry about double brokers. Now, that said, double brokers have always existed. Um, the reason why it's such a hot topic now is we have margin compression. We have the economy's not in as great of a place. So, you know, basically carriers are starting to pay more attention to the what the rates they're being paid. And the person that they deal most with is the broker. So they're obviously beginning to point fingers towards the brokers um, in ways where they previously have not had to, because there's been enough meat on the bone for the broker to make maybe more money than they're entitled to, but the carrier to be able to make enough money to basically shut up. And, and those days are over. Um, but Something needs to change. And I'm a proponent, and sometimes this is not well-received from everybody because it it may seem insensitive, but I'm a proponent of playing the ball as it lies and figuring out what we can do given what we're given. Um, But I think technology is the answer. And I I don't necessarily think that over-regulating the industry is the answer. I think data transparency and technology is the answer because it's something that we can build without needing to go to regulators or the government and basically getting ourselves elected to making changes. It takes so much time. Election cycles take so much time and you know the time to get into government positions. We see it. You know, We have an ancient government and it takes so much time to get to the position to make these changes. But technology, we can just build, right? Today, I said it earlier in the pod, The SEC doesn't want the Bitcoin spot ETF, but the people really do. And the people made a really good case for it. And that's the beauty of the United States is when there's something that's really convincing and the crowd really wants it, sometimes even the government loses against its own people. And we saw that today with the Grayscale case because technology will always win. We should be enabling the technology, pushing the technology from behind and hopefully with the right tech And I'm not talking about the type of technology that makes people lose their jobs. I'm not talking about replacing uh, people with artificial intelligence. I'm talking about supplementary technology that makes people's lives easier and enhances uh, transparency. And there is really not a greater industry or application where more transparency is needed than the transportation industry. And that is the entire impetus of digital assets. Everything is on chain. It's really actually cool to dig through chain and to see what happens. There's a website called zapper.xyz. And it's basically like a social media platform for on-chain activity. So you can go and see someone's wallet. And you won't necessarily know who the wallet holder is. uh, Although sometimes you can figure it out based on what their activity is. But so you can go through a wallet, you can see what tokens they own, you can see what they've bought, what they've sold, you can see what messages they've sent. There's now a Ethereum messaging service. So Mike, if you have an ETH wallet and I have an ETH wallet, I can message you and that will be an on-chain, basically transmission that can never go away. Um, so that is hyper-transparent and transportation is not transparent right there's a lot of walls i call it the iron curtain and we are at a point where we can basically marry the two so i am just so so enthusiastic i can't even hide it about what technology can do to the space and i think that can happen way faster than what we can do with regulation um that's just my take obviously uh, everybody has their own and and I enjoy listening to what other people think on these X spaces because they're coming from different backgrounds. Man, they've these are guys who have been on trucks for 35 years, longer than I've been alive. So you know, to hear what they say is so important, and the wisdom that they have and they can share is is really important. Um, now, all that said, man, like Mike, uh, you're in a different place today physically than you have been. On some of our past podcasts, you looks like you're at the at home office today.
1: Yeah, I'm at home. Real quick, before before you get on, what you just said right there for the people with that social media thing, because this is perfect with what you just talked about with that wallet at that X Y Z at that dot X Y Z website Zapper dot X Y Z. That's okay. So for the people who have been discouraged by Sonar, for the people who are (laughs) think that you're going to, that's where you're going to get your market rates from. And that will be your, your freight market rates, as opposed to going to the FMCSA who doesn't know what a W2 driver is, who doesn't know what detention is, you know, we're already seeing how market rates can be affected by that. I, that's really
0: interesting. I'm interested to see that point. And I'm going to drive it home with this. Um, You'll see on X, you'll see bots that are tweeting out, um, automatically things that are happening on-chain. One of them is called Watcher Guru. One of them is called Whale Charts. And it'll, they basically scrape the on-chain data and find like interesting transactions. So like if a wallet sends, for example, a million dollars of Bitcoin to Coinbase, one could derive from that 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 money is being sent from someone's wallet to Coinbase to be sold, right? Because the money is coming from like storage to an exchange to be sold. But it's something interesting and large happening on chain. That's all public. So when T- in, in regards to TCS, when TCS has constant transactions, there will be third parties who come along who build bots and they will effectively show a piece of freight that went from A to Z and what the rate was, and you won't know paid. who did it, but it's all pu- it's all public, and you'll see what it paid, and that's super super powerful.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, and there's there's some of the answer to the broker transparency right there. I, I love that because that, that kind of gave me a little bit of goosebumps. But yeah, you, uh, to to your point, you're right. I'm not in my normal place setting. Uh, I'm I'm at home in Central Texas. I've transitioned off from being over the road. We just talked about the you know the economy and the company I was a, a carrier for, and in my current situation, like I said, rates have been reduced. Um, I wasn't my deadhead had gone is was going up. My costs were going up. I also was backed into back in May. It set me back. I had a large repair. I came back out, paid some bills, and really the the scarcity of the freight, you know, uh, just wasn't really there. And you know, I'm a proponent of you know life is too short. We, you 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 and I kind of agree on that. It's too short to keep doing it. And I was I was essentially put in a position business wise with the truck of I can break even now, or I can pray. I can break even a, a year from now, essentially. Right, and that's and 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 it's it's wildly unpredictable. I didn't get into business to break even. I didn't get into no business, sir. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get into business to pay for fuel and break even. I got into business, no, sir. Into, yeah, in hopes to at least get a little bit of a profit and to grow. Like I, I'm a growth mindset. If I wanted to be a one truck owner operator for the next thirty years, then I would I would be continuing to do that. But that wasn't my goal. Uh, I'm 33 years old trying to you know trying to have a family myself the clock's ticking on that sort of thing I'm in a position to where I can make a pivot and recently I was at a cdllife.com event their turning point summit in Kansas City and Charles Gracie who hosts the Sense for Mile podcast also the founder of Hot Seat Services a driver recruiting firm he had approached me unsolicited about you know co- coming to work for him and I told him my case, and I said, "I think this is going to be really possible." Simultaneously, I was also, you know, unsolicited told by uh, coaches at the Orange Theory gym I work out at when I'm home that I I do well at this. Um, they like you what I post, it, on, yeah. They like what I post on social media. They like what I've done in, in building my brand, and they're like, "You could, we could really use that here." So I said, "Hey, I'm going to pivot and do both of these things at the same time." Uh, The driver recruiting position is 1099. So my LLC stays open. I'm going to cash flow that way. I'm going to dive further into the fitness world because those are, I mean, those are where my, my true passions are really within both. And if I could still do both, I can um, because I'm really big on trying to build a brand for myself, especially in regards to fitness in the transportation industry. Um, I do feel as though over, you know, over my overall, uh, my overall view of things is if drivers were better taking care of their health, they'd be better advocating for themselves in regards to, you know, uh, wages, benefits, compensation, things like that. They'd be more act- more active in, in, in lobbying for themselves, so to speak. So I'm going to keep honing in on that while I coach at Orange Theory. And then I'll be talking with drivers every single day recruiting. So I'm, I'm excited to be doing that. Uh, I haven't shut the door Yet, though on, on trucks for good, that door is never closed. The CDL doesn't go away. If I'm able to cash flow and continue to grow this brand on social media, network, meet guys like yourself, and read, and keep going out there and, and doing the right thing and getting real people, real results, I, I truthfully believe that become is becoming a motor carrier again uh, and owning a trucking company that can be reminiscent of my families is still something that's on the radar. I don't like some people say one door closes. I don't keep I don't keep, I'm not keeping any doors closed. It opportunity, you know, I look at everything as an opportunity, not, you know, everything's an opportunity. Everything's an experience. And the thing is nobody can take away my last three years uh, over the road, strict over the road. Nobody could take away the relationships I've built I'm very I'm very excited. I'm excited to be more involved with things like uh, you know with what TCS has to offer with going up to Chicago and being able to speak on on behalf of a lot in the industry. You know, I'm excited to you know be advising for this company of what I think is going to be essentially, you know, um a a huge game changer in the the finances of motor carriers uh within, within the very near future. So I I'm I'm excited for the future. Am, am I you know Disappointed, but like I said, I'm playing it where it lies. Like I, I was putting in a lot of hours. Worked. I wasn't getting a prevailing wage for it. At at the end of the day, you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, we we do need a paycheck, and it's just I'm not going to be. Yeah, I'm not just going to put all these hours in to essentially stay employed, so to speak, Uh, for something that has, in essence, you know, there's no real payoff, but just more. More experience and a little bit more struggle. And it's like, you know, and at the same time, you get a little bit, you know, more personal. I do have an amazing wife who, you know, has been very supportive, would be support me even if I did say it over the road. But, you know, it's been three years I've been over the road. She's been managing this household. You know what? Guess, guess what? It's time to come home. You know, I that that's number one, first and foremost. That's you know, she, she's number, number, number one. one. She's number one over the truck. And so I'm excited to be home you know, the possibility of starting a family, getting, you know, because le- with this driver recruiting position, I'm already learning so much about more about this industry that I had no clue about uh, that is really valuable, uh, especially in regards to specific lanes, what carriers are looking for, because even on the recruiting aspect, you have a lot of people who work in the recruiting departments for motor carriers and they don't know, and they're recruiters, they're not people in transportation. So there's a huge disconnect there. but uh, Yeah, you I'm- have
0: a huge advantage in that regard, man. And dude, no matter what you do, you're going to do super well at it. I mean, you have a super infectious personality. People love being around you. They love talking to you and hearing what you have to say about things. Um, you know, man, when L- Lombard as a brand just basically screams authenticity and being genuine and, and you're just you just nailed home with that so well, so you're gonna do so well even with driver recruiting um, you're also going to learn about more than just one part of the business, but yeah, man, I told you and you and I spoke about it a few months ago, you know have strong convictions, but keep them loosely held man that'll never you never lose that experience and and you could always go back into it if anything, I have a ton of respect for you for. Having as strong of a trucking and transportation presence as you do, and being willing to just take a step back and re-audit the situation, and not just basically having blind conviction in something to the point where, it, frankly, it could be it could be detrimental. Like you could blow up, you could go into extreme debt. Like I, I just have so much respect for you, man, for being able to take a step back and looking at it for what it is. And um, I hope other people who are in maybe a position you were in to hear this and say, you know what, maybe I do need to just take a step back and reevaluate things and just spend a little bit more time at home with my wife. I'm sure she's thrilled, man. And, and, and I'm sure that's just so awesome to be able to, to spend time at home. Um, but yeah, man, I have a ton of respect for you for doing that.
1: No, I, I appreciate that, man. It doesn't, it doesn't go, uh, it doesn't go unappreciated for sure. And, and yeah, when it comes to, I think, you know, Hormozzi, Alex Hormozy mentioned this once, is, is no, you know, sometimes the best, you know, uh, the best, it, one of the hardest things to do as an entrepreneur is to know when, know when to quit. And that, but that, the thing is, I don't like using the term quit. It's just something he said.
0: It's a terrible, the, it's yeah. such a hard word to say. I, I, I could sense your hesitation to say the yeah. word.
1: It, but like you said, know when to step, set back, recalibrate, go in a different direction, and just keep going forward. Is because yeah? Th- because the other option is I become completely obsessed. I say no, I have to win, win, win. I go into a bunch of right. debt to pay for the repair because essentially I was on a road with my truck where, which my truck is in the shop now because I have to get something fixed on it before I can even sell it. So that's because right. my check, my check engine light went on. So th- this, so I would have. So even if I wanted to continue to drive, my truck is still in the shop and it's been in the shop for you know, uh, uh, over a week now. So it's like, I still would have had that relying, you know, resting on that, not being able to work as a driver recruiter and not being able to train for the Orange Theory Fitness job. So I wouldn't be working, getting an income that way. I'd be having to figure it out and then, In essence, I'd have enough to, I'd either have to go into debt for an overhaul next year or I'd have to, or if I was lucky and I didn't have any other mechanical issues and at least the money stayed exactly where it is now with the rates, then maybe I can afford a down payment on another truck. And it's just, I could have obsessed, I could have gotten lines of credit, gotten all this more stuff and be like, I'll dig myself out. And it's just, I don't see the risk risk versus the reward. The only reward is maybe the status quo. And sometimes people, Don't recognize that. And it's just like, look, there's no, there's no problem with just, you know, it's not, I'm not fully starting over. Still just learn. I'm continuing to learn more, continuing to talk and network, meeting new brokers every day in the Lost Freight Discord. We're talking to new people on Twitter. And it's just, yeah, like, like we say all the time, life is too short. You know, don't. You know, you can't you can't get caught up in it. Can't get get caught up in your own headspace. Not think about the environment around you. You gotta gotta still live, man. L I V I N.
0: Yeah, yeah. You just gotta keep hammering, and that's exactly what I I expect. I expect nothing less of you, Mike. That's what you're gonna keep doing. Um, And I'm super excited to just follow along with your journey. Um, Is there anything else that you want to hit on before we wrap it up, man?
1: Man, I just want to reiterate again uh, what you know that people should be excited for what TCS has coming. Um, I'm I'm pumped for that conference up in Chicago because this is just like when I went to the CDLlife.com Turning Point Summit, I met a lot of people on because I met a lot of people at MAX at the Mid-America trucking show that, you know, got to meet Todd there, but a lot of truckers, a lot of people in transportation. So it's something I was familiar with, CDLlife.com there were very few drivers there. I was meeting all corporate people who work for carriers. So it was getting comfortable, feeling a little uncomfortable. Now this is another new scene I'm entering in on. This is a, you know for the first time I'm ever going to really a blockchain event where I'm gonna be meeting a whole different demographic of people from different parts of the world, different backgrounds. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to meet those people and share my experiences, hear about theirs. Um, can't really write that up, but I mean, before we let go, I mean, can we just give a shout out to the Zin and how yeah, Zin's changing I, the game?
0: <laughs> Zin's giving people lots of energy lately. It's, it's. um I've been seeing these funny Twitter accounts like Zin Capital. Uh There's a new one like Zin Transportation Company. Um, Zin itself is becoming like a meme, and it's like it's just just hysterical. Uh, I just to it's <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to see it. <laughs> it's the
1: it's the new coffee for me, man. I, I just. <laughs> It's it's the new it's definitely the new coffee and yeah I mean it's I know hysterical.
0: That, do you use it? Do you use it as like a nootropic to exercise as well?
1: I I said that the other day. I said it's a nootropic and yeah I'll throw I'll throw one in before one of those workouts. It'll get you. I mean it st- starts your morning off it on the on the on your drive to work. Yeah no it's there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely benefits to do it. I mean it's clearly backed by Harvard scientists from what from what I'm gathering.
0: Is it true that one of the founders is an Ivy league Ivy leaguer, or are you pulling my leg?
1: I thought it was you who told me this.
0: <laughs> no, I, I never said that. that's hysterical. Well, man, um, this has been fantastic. We covered so many great things and look forward to hopefully seeing some truck drivers at the each Chicago conference. Um, on the 15th to the 17th. If you're in town, come on through. Come on through for the TCS event. We look forward to it. And in the meantime, we'll talk to you all soon. Mike, thank you so much for coming out today, brother.
1: No, thank you. And yes, if you're a driver
0: out there in the Chicago area, come out to Chicago uh, Chicago ETH. Let's hang out.
1: you meet on the street, they get cooler. Both of the time, they're sitting at ground at home. One of these days, they know they better be gone.